out of the Tree of Life Bible, Isaiah 52, verses 1 through 11. Awake, awake, clothe yourself in your strength, Zion. Clothe yourself in beautiful garments, Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will never invade you again. Shake off the dust and arise. Be enthroned, Jerusalem. Loose the bonds off your neck, captive daughter of Zion. For thus says Adonai, you were sold for nothing. So you will be redeemed without silver. Without silver. For thus says Adonai Elohim, at first my people went down to Egypt to reside there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what do I have here? It is a declaration of Adonai. My people are taken away for nothing. Its rulers quail. It is Adonai's declaration, and my name is continually blasphemed all day long. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, I am the one who will say, Hineni, here I am. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces shalom, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voices. Together they are shouting for joy, for they will see eye to eye when Adonai returns to Zion. Break forth in joy, sing together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for Adonai has com comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Adonai has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Leave, leave, get out of there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out of her midst. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of Adonai. For you will not go out in haste, nor will you go in flight, for Adonai will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Thank you, Sharon. As I mentioned earlier, this month is a special emphasis for us on the need for prayer and intercession. As I've stated from time to time, when you and I work, we do our work, but when we pray, God works. And that's hugely important for us to realize. You know, after 25 years in ministry at Yeshua Tzion, I realized that I do all kinds of things. But when I devote time to prayer, then God is somehow miraculously and mystically involved in, in doing the work. And things really happen as he works, and we want to see more of that. Amen? From time to time, I uh, take time to, to walk around uh, the office. Um, Isaac, can I see either me or maybe the speaker? And um, real close to our congregational office is uh, a couple of large condominiums called Landmark. 
um, where folks live who have uh, a few shkalim, pesos, um, and uh, I've been told by someone who works there that a very high percentage of the folks who live there are Jewish. And so I have undertaken with some degree of both trepidation but also chutzpah uh, to begin to pray that God would somehow reach these guys. Um, as is the case with folks around here who are materially very rich but who are spiritually very poor. And you know, for s sometimes we get um, intimidated by considering the fact that folks who are influential and affluent um, in the eyes of God are really no different than the folks who are homeless downtown and who need to know Yeshua and who need to enter into the kingdom of God as much as anybody else. And so I've been praying that God would do something. Um, initially, just praying, Lord, uh, save them. You know, one of these, God bless so-and-so, God bless so-and-so. But as time went on, I really started to pray and ask, Lord, give us a vision for how we need to pray for these folks. So I've been praying that God would raise up some kind of a uh, witness to them, to individuals who have friends who know the Lord, who need to hear the word of God. And so I'd like to encourage you to, as you think about the CYT office, to remember as well to pray for the landmark condominiums and just simply pray that God would do something. Either have some kind of a study take place there, which should be uh, pretty miraculous, you know, in the uh, clubhouse, have a study about Yeshua. Wouldn't that be something? Or just individuals. And so we are often intimidated when we consider the fact that there are people all around us who need to know Yeshua. And earlier, Linda mentioned the fact that she works in a anti-God or godless kind of a environment. Um, she, w she teaches at... Uh, Denver uh, Community College downtown. And uh, Joy and I also live in an environment that's not exactly godly. Spitting distance from us is uh, um, a nudie place. Then they're building a, um, a pot palace right next to it. Um, and we didn't move into that area so that we can be close to the nudie place. We moved into the area because this is smack dab in the middle of the Jewish community. And we felt that God wanted us to be there. And you know what happens? We get distracted. We get distracted by life. A lot of things going on. You have an accident. Um, you have financial problems. You lose your job. You come to work. You get a pink slip uh, saying, pack up your stuff. You're gone today. Um... You wrench your back. Um, you have family issues. I'll put those in quotation marks. Because the family issues are the things that sometimes are more painful than external things. You know what I'm talking about? 
And so all we can see are those things. And we are distracted to the point of being overwhelmed and having our faith flattened to where it is hard to see anything closer, anything farther out than our noses. And I believe that part of what God has to do with us is stir us, take a, uh, a spiritual cattle prod and put it to us every so often and say, okay, I, I get it. You have issues, you have needs, you have problems, you're struggling. I get it. However, I'm up to task of taking care of your needs. I can somehow handle your needs. If you understand the simple fact that as you make my business your business, I will make your business my business. And it's hard for us to get our arms around that. But this is what God has for us to do. And as you read these passages, you see God speaking through Isaiah very passionately. And by the way, let me again encourage you to dive into the prophetic passages. They're sometimes hard reading because sometimes they are very uh, uh, graphic and raw and it's, you know, it's, it's a little embarrassing. We want to flip over and, and read the parts that are a little bit, that go down smoother. Um, but God does something. God communicates something through the prophets that we don't see elsewhere. And we see primarily his heart, his passion for Israel and for the nations. And by the way, remember at Yeshua Tzion, we speak a lot about the need for Israel and Jewish people to come to know Yeshua. That simply means that we are aware and committed to the fact that God has a special plan for those from the nations, from the goyim. And that in no way, shape, or form are we oblivious to the fact that there are non-Jews all around us who need to know Yeshua. And trust me, folks, if you have a heart for Israel, if you have a heart to share Yeshua with people who are Jewish, guaranteed somewhere in the picture, God will give you a soft heart for those who are not Jewish. And here, this comes on the heels of many, many, many chapters in the book of Isaiah that speak judgment and condemnation to Israel and to the nations. Uh, as you know, Israel gave God fits for hundreds of years, and the Lord was patient over and over and over again. At some point, he said, judgment is coming upon you, just like it was with the earlier nations. But in each of the prophetic passages, we find these wonderful promises of God saying, yes, judgment will come. You will have to suffer the consequences of your sin. But I will somehow make a way to see to it that despite your sin, despite your suffering, redemption and salvation will come. This is the amazing thing about God, 
that despite our mess-ups, despite our sin, despite the fact that we suffer the consequences of our sin, somehow Almighty God finds a way to work and provide salvation for us. And so part of what he expects us who name his name is to wake up to that fact. And as you read this chapter, I hope that you read it not very quietly and meekly, but recognize the fact that this is loud. Uri, Uri, awake, awake! Now, I don't know if you can relate to that. Joy and I could certainly relate to that this morning. We both set our alarm clocks, and Isaiah has two alarm clocks, our grandson. Of course, he never listens to them. But for some reason, our alarm clocks didn't go off this morning. We woke up in, in a, uh, uh, with a start and recognized the fact that we had to wake up in a big, fat hurry in order to get here. It would not be very seemly for the rabbi and his wife to kind of sashay in here um, after everybody else. But this is, folks, what God says to us who are his people. He said, awake, awake. I am at work. Don't just look at the grimness and the negativity around you and the fact that society seems to be heading away from God. Recognize the fact that when sin increases, the grace of God increases even more. As you read Scripture, remember, particularly the book of Acts, remember that some of the greatest miracles took place in the, in the areas, in the cities that were the most defiled. Ephesus, the place where, where Paul's handkerchiefs touched people and they were healed and was also the place that you had a great deal of occult and idol worship. So we get distracted by life, by circumstances. We get intimidated and we become oblivious to God's business, forgetting the fact that he has work for each of us to do. He has gifted each one of us to do his work. That means here at the Shuatzion is part of your spiritual family, if God has called you to be part of it, to be part of us, but also in every single arena of life, where you find yourself when you go to get your hair cut or, or, or when you get your car worked on. These are opportunities for you to speak as the Spirit of God puts something in you. Now, I realize that sharing the good news is about as attractive as a lunch of sawdust for many of us. You know, you may have listened to people who are very gifted evangelistically, and they talk about how you come up with this um, basic presentation of the good news of Yeshua, and you look for opportunities, and you, in a sense, grab them by the collar, and you share the good news with them. Well, I don't know about you. That, frankly, leaves me somewhat cold because it makes me feel like I have an 800-pound gorilla on my back that I'm the one who's supposed to make things happen. 
And the word of God calls on us. I mean, it's speaking here directly to the nation of Israel at some point when there will be a national restoration, presumably during the millennium, the thousand-year period. But obviously, the word of God applies for all of us that we need to take and, and ab abstract the lessons and principles that are given here. Awake, awake! Get up! Clothe yourself with strength. Now you say, what on earth does that mean? Do I go to the closet and find a shirt that says power on it and put it on? It seems to me that part of the picture is allowing the Spirit of God to put holy chutzpah into you. And you obviously, you and I obvi obviously participate in that and say, God, I don't want to shuffle around the rest of my life and act as if being a believer is something to be ashamed of and acting as if you are not able to do anything in and through me. It is real easy to walk through life and be a defeatist, and particularly as we see society becoming more and more corrupt. That's the time, folks, where we need to awake and clothe ourselves with strength that comes not from us, but comes from the Spirit of God. Clothe yourself with strength. Put the garment of splendor. Again, that's not about us. Not that we are cute and clever. Splendor has to do with the fact that you and I, folks, think about this. You and I represent God Almighty. Shake off the dust. Free yourself from the chains that are on your neck. Do you know that many believers have chains around their necks? Do you realize that? Part of the picture is that we open doors for the evil one to come in and grab a hold of us through our sin, through our stupidity. We all do that, every single one of us. You know, I remember as a single man, before I met the love of my life, I uh, was in a number of relationships, and I would be lying to you if I said that, that they were all utterly godly. And um, I was going through a time in my life when I was beginning to come to terms with who I am in God and, and reconnecting with Him. And uh, my behavior was not pristine. I don't think I need to uh, draw you a picture of what that looks like. And so there have been many times where I kind of walked around feeling guilty, and I've heard people talk about the fact that Satan is an opportunist, that he looks for um, people to open doors and then he barges right in and takes, uh, establishes strongholds. And yes, it is true on one hand because the Word of God says to us, for example, in Ephesians 4, be angry and don't sin because when you sin and be because when you are angry 
and you don't deal with it, you stuff it, then you allow it to become calcified, it becomes, you become bitter, and Satan gets a, a beach hold in your life. So that is true. And yes, there is the legal component that we give him permission. However, folks, who is the greater? And what does the word of God say to us about redemption? That Yeshua intercedes for us. He says, Father, look at that idiot Chaim. Did you notice what he just did? He used words that were not in the Bible. And Yeshua intercedes for us, and Hebrews 7 tells us that because of that, he is able to redeem fully and completely, folks. There is no sin that's beyond his ability to bring redemption. And yes, we do stupid things, sinful things. We defile ourselves sometimes by our attitudes, by our words, by our actions. However, I stand here to tell you that God is greater than that. That he is able to bring about redemption. And yes, you can choose to sit in the dust. Yes, you can choose to have this bondage around you. Or you can say, Lord, I'm going to trust you that you're going to break the stronghold in my life that you are going to bring about further redemption and cleansing and healing. It's time to shake off the dust. Repentance, folks, is something that is joyful because we recognize who God is, how amazingly holy he is, but how amazingly merciful he is. And we stand before him ashamed of our junk, uh, our sin, and say, Abba, thank you, for, thank you for forgiving me and cleansing me from my stuff. So, rest, so repentance is joyful because we know that restoration comes with it and we draw closer to the Lord. And we recognize that he has the ultimate control over what takes place in our life. He puts it this way in verse 3, For this is what the Lord says, You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. And I always read this, and I scratched my head, and uh, pulled my beard, and had no idea what, what on earth was this talking about. And I looked at one of the commentaries and uh, just had one of these aha moments. What that simply means is that when we do get into some sort of bondage, as was the case with Israel, when that Israel went into to Babylon... God really didn't enter into a commercial relationship with the Babylonians and say, uh, you take care of my people, oppress them, make them suffer, and I will give you such and such. No. He is God Almighty. And yes, he delegated the Babylonians to do what they did. However, 
they did not have ultimate and final control. And the same thing is true when God allows suffering to come into our life for one reason or another. Sometimes it is for disciplinary measures because we were stupid and we're not willing to listen and follow the Lord and he allows things to come into our life. Even at that point, he is not obligated to anybody or anything. And he is well able then to say, okay, the time of suffering because of your sin is ended. Now comes times of restoration. True with the nation of Israel, true with you and I. God is committed to bring about restoration, folks. That's true with Israel, true with the nations, true with you and I. And furthermore, when the nation of Israel was in bondage, was in exile, it made God look awful in front of the Gentile nations. Why? Because it made God look like he was totally helpless, incapable to take care of his people. If you remember when Moses was having conversation with God and the Lord was saying, Moses, Mo, get out of the way. I want to nuke these guys. Moses responds to God, Lord, by the way, number one, you made a commitment, and you're the kind of God who keeps his commitment. Number two, what do you think would happen if you wiped out your people and the Egyptians looked and said, ah, he's, he is just a penny ante God. So what Isaiah is saying that when God's people are in bondage, God looks real bad. His reputation is being besmirched. In other words, dirt is being thrown on, on his name. That when Israel is trashed, God's name is trashed. And this is true, folks. When you look around, unfortunately, with fellow believers, you see that the statistics, the awful statistics about family dysfunction, family abuse, and so on, are not, tr are not significantly different among believers that they are in the world at large. That causes God, God's name to be blasphemed, to be besmirched. And here, and also in Ezekiel 36, the Lord makes it very clear that this is a situation that he finds intolerable. Because he receives honor as redemption and salvation comes to people. Why? Because, think of it this way, you and I are provide our life in a sense provide the stage upon which God's work is displayed for people around now I know you don't think of yourself as uh, being part of Macbeth or uh, or uh, one of the other Shakespearean plays but our life our our lives are observed by people around us I I, I don't think 
that this is a uh, great uh, news flash to anybody here. None of us is an island. You go, you go to work, you go to school, wherever it is that you go, you take care of business. People observe you. They see who you are. And who you are reflects on who your God is. Whether you have a big poster that says, I am a follower of Yeshua, a poster that uh, shines with neon lights, or, or whether you carry a big family Bible, as I was taught when I was in, in high school, I was part of an uh, intense club that taught us to do that, you know, bring all kinds of things that would grab people's attention. You really don't need that. Your life is the only Bible that people will have around you. Your life provides a stage upon which people will see God working. Particularly as you go through difficult times. Especially during those times when you're feeling utterly miserable and feeling like an utter failure because you're not being successful and because you are not fulfilling a high standard of godliness. During those times, as you allow God to work in you and bring about redemption, people see the transformation. They notice that they give God the glory. Whether they come up to you and, and give you all kinds of wonderful testimonials or not, or as mentioned earlier with Linda, I think we can all tell stories of how people came to us at different times and said something like, you know, there's something different about you. Not just because you're weird. <laughs> but they would say something like, there's something different about you. And folks, it's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful task for us to be God's representatives. We come to it with so much guilt and so much obligation. And the word of God wants us to, uh, and, and the Lord wants us to realize that this is, that this is something joyful. Verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, when was the last time that somebody looked at your feet and said, your feet are gorgeous? That's obviously not what is in mind here. This is referring to a messenger who would come to a city that's been besieged and, and said and would say something like, help is on the way. The cavalry is coming. How beautiful are the feet. Psalm 147 puts it this way. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting it is to praise him. If you're someone that finds worship to be somewhere about two or three on a scale of ten, let me encourage you not to beat yourself up, but simply to have a chat with God and say, Lord, it isn't right. I want to change. 
I want worship to be something that is joyful, pleasant. And as it's something that we do, guaranteed there will be something that overflows to other people. That's what our lives are about, folks. We live our life, and what God does in our life overflows to other people. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who proclaim good news. And by the way, like a lot of passages in, in the prophets, they're very poetic and they just pile on the words. Who brings shalom. Well, you know shalom is peace and, and, and wholeness and completion. Who speak tov, which is good in a general sense. Who bring Yeshua, salvation, deliverance, Good stuff, folks. You and I have been tasked with a wonderful task. And that is to convey to people around us who are struggling, who are hurting, who are needy, who are looking for answers in all kinds of crazy places. And you and I have the goods. And particularly, they proclaim Malach Elohaich. Your God reigns on an ongoing basis. Today, tomorrow, the day after. We convey that, folks. And yes, there's all kinds of craziness. And yes, you hear the news. And yes, you get depressed by listening to the news. And, and you can get wrapped around the axle like I see a lot of times on, on Facebook and, and other media. Believers dive into it and they, they, get, uh, they get hot and then people respond back to them and they could get counter hot. And I look at that and I think to myself, what a waste. What a waste. We've not been called to dive into the muck, folks. We've been called to convey the good news, which is transformative. God's word is transformative. In other words, as you and I read it, study it, apply it, it changes us and it has the power to do likewise in the lives of other people. Our God reigns. It's a reality for us. I hope it is a reality for you. If I didn't believe that, I would be in a different planet. Our God reigns at any and all times, in all circumstances in your life, good, bad, or ugly. Our God reigns. Can you say that? Our God reigns. And by the grace of God, it somehow percolates through who you are and becomes part of your DNA, part of your thinking, part of your emotions. So as you go through circumstances that are difficult, and yes, life is difficult, folks. I'm not going to stand here and give you a, 
uh, uh, false prosperity doctrine, life gets difficult. However, our God reigns. That defines our life, who we are. So what the prophet Isaiah here says to those who get it is you lift up your voice. Hebrew has all these interesting expressions, these Semitisms, and you wonder, okay, what does it mean to lift up my voice? Okay, I take a word, I say it, then I lift it up. Obviously very graphic to convey the sense of speaking loudly. If you were at the wedding this past uh, Sunday, Scott McLean had the uh, dubious honor of being um, harassed by the rabbi during the wedding because he said, I do in a quiet voice, and I said, say it loud. That's what the Word of God expects for us to do, folks, not to be timid about who we are. Again, Hebrew is very expressive here. Pitzchu burst forth. And I know, I know this is kind of a stretch, especially if you're one of the more reserved, introverted types. The notion of bursting forth with the good news is kind of over the top. The point simply is, it is part of you. It is deeply embedded in you. It comes forth. You can't help it. You know, Bronco season comes and, and people have no problem at all about making absolute and utter fools of themselves about the Broncos. And you say, okay, the Broncos are highly profound and they are life-changing and, and transformative. And, and so we, of course, should, we should burst forth about telling the, the glories of the Broncos. Well, Doesn't uh, that need to happen with us in relationship to who we are, who God is? And perhaps, and th this is not intended to be guilt-inducing, Jewish or otherwise. I've learned that a, long, a long time ago that really is worse than useless. But if we say nothing about God, what does that suggest about who God is in our life. If we have nothing to say about God, does that suggest that there really isn't a whole lot spiritual happening in our life? You know, as uh, as the saying goes, beam me up, Scotty, there, there's nothing happening here. God is at work, folks. If you're not experiencing it, you simply need to, to sit down with him and have a chat. Because here what it speaks about is God laying bare his holy arm. Now, what does that suggest? Well, think about you're working and you're rolling up the sleeves. That implies that you're getting to, to do some significant work. 
And yes, there are times when it seems like the Lord isn't doing a whole lot and we wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And all of us are specialists in being good waiters. <laughs> but then we trust and we learn to wait on God and with expectation we see Him work and we are encouraged to trust Him for what else needs to happen and we see it happening and it bubbles forth, it, it touches other people around us and what takes place in us is designed to be a message to those around us. What God did with Israel it was designed to make a clear and powerful statement to the nations. Part of the process as God gets to work on us, He points things out in us that are not clean. And I realize this is where I'm changing from uh, preaching to meddling. However, we're all fellow strugglers. We all have pockets of stuff in our life that are not pleasing to God. And if we're serious about wanting to make an, an impact in this world, we would welcome the Lord and say, Lord, please come, please bring about house cleaning and show me how to stay away from the things that grieve your heart. What you see here again, as we saw in the beginning, this great emphatic statement where we saw in verse 1, get up, get up. Here it says, get away, get away. Depart, depart. Don't touch the things that are unclean. Why? Because you are carrying the holy things. Now what does that mean? To carry the holy things. The message that you and I have been given, the good news, is precious. It is life-giving. It's life-transforming. It cannot be defiled with our stuff. And God calls on us then to seek that cleansing so what comes forth increasingly is more of Him and less of us. You know, we live in a very corrosive environment. It corrodes the pipes. And you can't run away from, from society. You can't run away from unbelievers. You can't go in a desert island. Like some of the medieval mystics, you know, they built, they built these uh, monasteries way up high and top of a mountain. It was very inaccessible. Yeshua mixed with people, folks. And yet he expects us to be a holy people as he is a holy God. If we understand 
the preciousness of what he has given us, we will recognize the fact that it has to come forth as much as it is possible without our defilement. And especially as we are approaching the Day of Atonement, uh, as we consider the need for repentance, that can be overwhelming because you look at yourself and say, Oi, I got filth here, I got junk here, I just blew it here, I just said things that were inappropriate here, I just got angry at my wife, I, I uh, stretched the truth until it screamed here. And uh, if I were to go with a weed be gone, I would be doing nothing all day long but trying to fix that. At which point we recognize the fact that we have major help. King David puts it this way, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God wants to do that. We just simply need to collaborate with him. You will not go in waste, in, in haste, or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. We deal with life that is complex, that is difficult, that is challenging. And if we recognize the fact that our God reigns, that means that we will have the basic expectation that God will make our path straight. Not trouble-free, but he will make our path straight. Why? Because we have places to go. The kingdom of God, folks, needs to expand in us. It needs to expand and touch the lives of other people through us. This week, as we take time to pray, why not exercise holy chutzpah and say, God, I get it. I get it. There are people around who need to be touched. Jews and non-Jews, men and women. I want to be your agent of change and transformation. But come, bring about that change and transformation in me. Empower me. Give me holy chutzpah. to be your agent, your vessel, to communicate this me message to the world. Take that step. See God act. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for your mercy, your unbelievable mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you know us inside out, and you're gracious and faithful. And we love you, Lord. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord God, for the greater work of redemption and restoration that needs to take place in each one of us. The emboldening work by your spirit, Lord God, for us to see beyond ourselves, beyond our needs, beyond our issues, beyond our problems and 
recognize, Lord God, what it is that you have to do those around us. Purge us, Lord God, of the insecurities and the fear, Lord God, that we have. Being self-consumed causes, Lord God, to be consumed with you. And we pray, Lord God, that what you do in us would overflow and touch the lives of other people. I pray for each one of us, Lord God, that what we have heard today, all through this day, Lord, that you would cause it to lodge deeply and bear much fruit for your honor and glory. Yeshua's name. Amen.